Hello, and welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, public speaker, actor, and creative coach. And this show is meant to give you tools to claim the word creative, take fear out of the driver's seat of your life, gain awareness around mental health and spirituality, and own your right to have a dream and take up space. Do you struggle to get into a creative flow state? Are you dealing with issues that block that flow state? Things like anxiety, depression, stress, or even a physiological disease. Today's guest is a scientist turned sound healer that will teach you how being in flow can actually heal your body and how you can get there by connecting to your own inner healer. But before we get to that, I want to ask you a quick favor. If you love the show and it has helped you, please consider leaving it a rating and review and sharing the show on your Instagram stories or Twitter. Tag the guest at Unleash Your Inner Creative and at Lauren LaGrasso, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Okay, now to the guest. Shanila Sitar is an integrative wellness leader, fourth generation sound healer, breathwork coach, national speaker, and founder of Always Place Studios and the Integrative Healing Academy, where you can get certified in different forms of Eastern healing practices. What makes Shanila so interesting is her background as a scientist. After 12 years of pursuing her science career in tech and women's research, she followed her intuition into the world of mysticism. There, she combined her love for these two passions. It took healing her own body and helping others along the way to inspire her to take after her ancestors and make it her full-time career. If traditional meditation or mindfulness hasn't worked for you, then sound and breath work could be a good alternative to help you start to heal both emotionally and physically. Check out this episode to learn where to start. She's amazing. Now here she is, Shanila Sitar. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. You know, I love you. I've been a big fan of yours for a long time and honored to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So one of the first things on your long and short bio is that you're a fourth generation sound healer. And I want to hear some of the history of that, but also sometimes when our family has a tradition of working in a certain profession, we want to rebel against it. So I'm curious to know if this was something you always wanted to do, or if you had your rebellious teen years or whatever, like length of period of time before you embraced this sole purpose. Yeah. You know what? I would say it's neither to be, <laughs> to be really honest. I don't feel like I had this like vision, like, Oh, I'm going to do sound healing or music or Nothing. I never really felt um, called to be in the music space. And the other way, I didn't feel like I had to like fight to get in here and, you know, really be in my voice or all of that. It kind of just naturally progressed. And in retrospect, I'm I'm so glad it happened that way because I feel like it saved me like a lot of pain and trouble. Uh, but yeah, I'm a fourth generation sound healer. And my great grandfather was a Bengali folk musician in Bangladesh. Wow. And back in the day, you couldn't mix music and songwriting with Islam. So in a heavy Islamic country, you would pretty much get prosecuted. People would think that you're summoning the devil, you're, you know, the whole relationship with music and a lot of religions and a lot of cultures is that it's evil or it's too sexy or, you know, not that he was being sexy or anything, but you're talking about love. And, you know, he used to collaborate with all these beautiful, renowned poets who were also cast aside from society for, you know, being artists. They were creatives and they were not seen as a lot of value in society. And the way that I practice sound healing is with crystal bowls and gongs and frequencies and entrainment, which isn't necessarily how my family and my ancestors practiced. They weren't sitting around with, you know, alchemy bowls and using binaural beats and having like Bluetooth and even, you know, just they were artists in their in their presentation of what sound healing was. And the way that I stepped into sound healing wasn't actually, you know, my whole life. It was probably about five to six years ago when I was experiencing a lot of imbalances in my body, my mood, my emotions and all of that. And I had been in tech for quite some time. I had been in women's research for quite some time. I was working with different universities around the country, working on women's research, doing a lot of data and psychology and all of this stuff. But I found myself just constantly sick. I was wow. ill in my stomach. My hair was falling out, insomnia. And, you know, at that age, especially in your mid-20s, upper 20s, if you go to the doctors, everybody's like, oh, you're stressed or this is hormones. They kind of just 
you know, pass it off to environment. They don't want to actually look at what's going on, like the root, the mechanism of what's happening. And so for me, I was looking for ways to kind of just chill out and find peace. And I went to this music festival and I saw like a bunch of people with crystal balls and gongs and you know my training is as a scientist so I was like rolling my eyes in the back of my head like what the hell is going on you know but it looked like they were having a nap and I'm always down to like chill and have a nap you know I was like yeah I'll lay down you know it's like middle of the day there's a big tent and everybody's chilling so me and my friends we kind of just like laid down and honestly Lauren this is the first time in my life that I felt stillness in my head just silent stillness, like pure, like, what the hell is this, you know? And then when I came back to it, we're like, let's do it again, you know? And they were having like another session. So we stayed for quite some time. And, you know, my point in saying that is when I started to experience these moments of stillness, I actually felt my ancestors like talking to me. They were like telling me like, use this information. And the more that I got into this work, the more that I started to learn the science, the frequencies, like all the parts of my brain that want the evidence of like what's happening with sound healing, what are what are the, you know, back end, like I need the data, da da da, right? So the more that I did that, the more that I started to get messages from ancestors, not necessarily my great grandfather, but some kind of energy that felt like you're really stepping into yourself right now. Like all the things that you've been doing have just been preparing you to like fully embrace and embody. And within two weeks I had left my job and I was like, oh cool like i i'm a sound healer now (laughs) okay okay we gotta we gotta check some things (laughs) off i have so many questions okay you went from being a scientist to a sound healer yes am i hearing that correctly yes it doesn't sound like it took long for you to kind of unhook yourself from the title of scientist to sound healer because it's there's a lot of overlap i get that but like for somebody who's been in the scientific world and like been living in numbers and data and just that for so long, like there's things with sound healing and healing in general that sometimes you can't explain. Right. Yeah. How did you detach yourself from the identity of like pure scientists to now I'm going to still be a scientist, but also be straddling this world of woo? Yeah. So I always say that I'm the scientist and mystic who meet each other. And I kind of dance between the science of the mystic. And that's what the alchemist archetype is, where you understand there's a linear, logical, systematic way of thinking and being and looking at things. And there's also the experiential. There's the metaphysical that you don't understand and you don't get, but you can't really put into words, but it's something you experience. And even though I was in science, my upbringing and my cultural experiences was really woo. And especially that, you know, now as more of an adult, when I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, my brother and I, when we were kids, we were talking about like lucid dreaming and traveling into like different, different, we didn't, we didn't know what this was. We were growing up in Bangladesh, you know, we didn't have like a lot of access to internet or people kind of like putting these ideas in our minds. We just like knew how to lucid dream and we were talking to plants and we were talking, you know, like we were doing a lot of like woo and mystical stuff that our family. And again, this is what I mean, that they were receptive to that. They didn't shut that off of us. They weren't like, Mm. no, there's no such thing as this thing or that thing. So for me, I don't feel like I had to make a huge internal transition Mm. from the, the science to the mystic, but I definitely had to make a huge external transition because I felt that I had to over explain myself of what I was doing to society. You know, I was in a place where I was like looking for affirmation or validation or, you know, support in a way that I wasn't actually needing from the inside. I didn't really need that from the inside. I was just like, I trust myself. My gut intuition is like insanely crazy since I was a kid. So for me, it's really easy to trust that. Could I ask you a question? If you had that internal guiding, then why did you still need the validation from the outside world? Yeah. So the internal compass was like heavily speaking, but sometimes you look at the examples of people who are around you Mm -hmm. and you kind of want to like copy or imitate or show up as, you know, what you think is the right way. And so in a world where I've been in science and also part of that in the world of tech, you know, you, you are doing very linear, logical things. And then when you come into a creative space, And it's not a muscle that you've been flexing for a while. You know, it's not a muscle that you've been building and you are still discovering your voice around it. 
it's not necessarily that you need guidance for people to tell you how to do your art or how to do your thing, but it's part of you. It's like, am I doing it right? Like, is this okay? You know? Right. Okay. I get what you're saying. So yeah. So you just, because you were so new in the space, you were like, is this okay? Like it wasn't necessarily, yeah. am I making the right choice? It was more, am I sound dealing? I don't know. I just started right, this. Right, right, right. Exactly. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. It's kind of like, you know, if you're just starting out like painting something and like there's no right or wrong way to paint it, but a part of your the back of your mind is like, are these materials okay to work together? Am I using the right paintbrush or is this the right canvas? You know, just like questions like that that make you double think. Right. And okay, you said you quit your job within two weeks. So many people like know what they want to do for so long and still stay in the wrong job for so long, but you have this inner knowing. And so you just quit. Did you have a plan to go to? And also like, was there any thought process behind the two weeks? How did this happen? Walk me through it. Uh, no plan. That's, that's kind of like how I do anything. It's like always play, man. Like always play because you are always going to be guided to where you're meant to be. And I strongly believe that you will figure it out. This goes back to that deep intuition I was talking about. Like, you will figure it out. You know, there are things that you're scared about. There's things that you don't know, like what the outcomes are. And I think that is part of why a lot of us don't take, you know, creative decisions or mm. make, a, make a huge shift in our lives because we want to know what the end story is. And like, spoiler, we'd all die. Like, that's the end, you know, <laughs> like, if, if we really want to say that way. True. It, it's, it's a very short journey. And you know, one thing I want to mention, Lauren, is like during that shift time too, I was going through a lot of transitions in my life as well. I had just lost my grandfather. He passed away. I was leaving a 10-year relationship and it really brought that idea into my heart, really into my soul. Just this idea that everything's fleeting, you know, and like, what are you living for? What do you care about? Like, what is lighting you up? not to have like perfection and everything is like in your purpose and everything has to be good and great and, you know, do whatever you want. Of course, we have responsibilities and things that we have to take care of too and be, you know, financially sound. There's also, you know, a thought process around that. But that feeling was so strong in my body for such a duration of that year. And so I didn't really attribute it to my job because I didn't really like hate my job or all of that stuff. I was working in really cool research, looking at women's perfectionism and grit and working with middle school girls. Like I was just like, that is still actually what I do, but in a different form. Right. The way that I do it has changed. The vehicle in which I do it has changed. And so in that process, it it just showed up in my body in a really obvious way. And as I mentioned, the sickness, the stomach, the hair, the, you know, like mood, I was so mad, like angry and grumpy and projecting it onto other people around. Like I was getting this like body feeling constantly. And again, I didn't contribute it to my job. I didn't contribute it to being unhappy in a career or anything. But then when I really think about it in retrospect, it's like, yeah, but why were you doing the things you were doing? And it wasn't for validation from anyone, anything. My parents never told me I had to go do this or that. Like, I never heard that from them. There was no, no external story around that. But it just got louder and louder. So when I finally made that decision, I had been thinking about, like, not quitting my job, but how to take care of myself. Right. That was the bigger portion of this. And a few years earlier, I had picked up this Tibetan bowl at a at a, a metaphysical shop at a Tibetan shop in Alameda, California, in the Bay Area. And I would just ding it in the morning. And I find like a minute of peace. And I would ding it at nighttime. I started to notice like my sleep was improving. I didn't know all the science and stuff behind it at that time. I was just like, I don't know what this is, but it makes me feel calmer. It makes me feel like I'm I'm reacting less or I'm feeling less angry or I'm just feeling different. And I didn't have the words to explain it, but I'm like, if it works, it works. I'll just ding it. Even if it's a placebo, I'm up for it, right? Like if it's a placebo, then it's a placebo and, and it's helping me sleep. So let's go. And so then I would carry this bowl around and my friend Jamai and Annie, I'm like, here, ding. And I would like do a little <laughs> sound healing session for them. And they're like, 
I don't know why you just did, but I feel pretty peaceful. And so it kind of just became this staple that I would have it in my backpack. And, you know, everywhere we were going, I would, you know, have it. Or if we had quiet moments, I would tell people about like Tibetan bull or sound healing. And at that point, I was more about it. So I'd be able to tell people more about it. And then that feeling, that feeling of just helping people in that moment to get that moment of peace was so strong for me. I'm like, obviously, I have to be showing people that this exists. Such a simple tool, not just the Tibetan bowl, but just this concept of like meditation <laughs> and calm yeah, and being peaceful. So when you quit your job, were you really just interested in healing or were you thinking like, I need to make this a business right away? How did it transition from I am trying to heal myself and find new meaning in my life to this is now my profession. Mm, so, you know, healing process is always consistent. So I don't uh, I don't feel that I was delusioned that like, oh, I have to get to level 10 healing. And, right. you know, that that's when I'm going to feel OK. I just knew that this was a constant process. And I'm somebody who embraces things that are going to be a long term thing in my life. I don't really enjoy short things. And I've poured so much into it that it doesn't feel right for me to just have like short things. Longer fulfilling projects are what what's in my body. And so at that time when I quit my job, there was a thought process on it's somehow going to turn into my living. But what that looks like, I don't actually know right now. And so at that time, I created Always Play Studios. And the excitement I felt being new in it while I was scared in it is what propelled me to make a sustainable business out of it eventually. Mm. But right off the bat, I was living in Los Angeles. It's a very pricey place to live. Yes. There is financial I can need, attest. Right? <laughs> Amen. Yeah. And, and so you can't be reckless in that way. I don't have, you know, a trust fund or a sugar daddy or anybody like funding me money on that. So definitely the way that I moved through after making that two-week decision is from a entrepreneurial business-minded angle. Yeah. And okay, so like, let's just go through some, some brass tacks here. What exactly is, we talked about it a lot, but what in your definition is sound healing? Like if somebody has no context, what is it? Yeah, so sound healing is using vibrations and frequencies to get you into states of meditation. And so what that looks like, it could be crystal bowls that are tuned to specific frequencies. It could be binaural beats. It could be singing. It could be birds outside. It could be music. It could be anything that utilizes sound that allows your brain to get into this entrainment phase. And so the deeper answer to that is we have different brain states. So when we're awake and we're talking, we're in a beta state. When we're in uh, that state right between going to sleep and kind of being awake, it's like you could be awake, but you're kind of asleep. That's the alpha state. And then we have this super juicy state known as the theta state. And through traditional meditation, you can get to theta state just by sitting or if you are an experienced meditator you can get to theta state in a lot of way but theta is that super super deep meditative state where you get all the benefits of meditation you get the better sleep better mood better focus better clarity better energy your digestion improves and i always say sound healing is like the cheater's way to meditate because you don't have to try that hard and, <laughs> and then you have your delta state which is like a really deep restful brain state and so what happens for a lot of us is that we actually skip through theta state because it's a luxury state to be in. But theta is where artists especially get their flow. This is where you're in that moment where you're downloading that creative juices flowing. And we kind of have that linguistics in our vocabulary. We say like, oh, I'm in the zone. I'm in the flow. That's where theta is. So you can actually trick your mind. You can actually trick your brainwaves into going into theta especially if you're somebody who deals a lot with anxiety or depression or overthinking, you're worried or you're stressed a lot, or you have insomnia, you sleep poorly, if you have chemical imbalances, your body is in this overprotective mode where it's doing the things it needs to do in your body, but not giving you all the luxury things in your body, like feel good hormones and like oxytocin <laughs> and serotonin and dopamine. Your body's producing it, but you're not receiving it. So when you get into that theta state, that's when your body goes into the parasympathetic nervous state where your body goes into rest. This is when all the parts of you that knows how to heal itself start to come out. 
your digestion improves, your immunity improves, your breath, your respiration improves, your feel-good hormones start to come out uh, and get distributed to the rest of your body. And so most of us don't exist in that state. We exist in the other part, which is the sympathetic nervous state where we are in fight, flight, or freeze mode. This is where you're like constantly worried, constantly what's going to happen, constantly bills, this thing, da 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 And your body, even if you don't actually feel that it's being harmed in the long term, is actually being harmed because it never has that potential to rest. So you can experience sound healing in so many ways. For example, music, anytime you put on your headphones and you're just like lost in it, like you don't know where you went. You weren't like really here. You were here, you were awake, but you weren't like really here. That subconscious state, that's essentially where you get to with sound healing. Wow. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I mean, it sounds like it's really important for creatives too. Is there any sort of, I know you do sound baths and, and I would love for you to plug some of that stuff, but is there any sort of like level of Hertz that a a creative can listen to, to help them get into a, a theta state or like a super creative state? Or is there like some sort of bowl that we can buy to like, you know, ding to help us get into creative state? Like, what do you recommend specifically for creatives? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm always down to plug nature because there are some like really cool sounds in DJ Mother Nature. You know what I mean? There's like, there's so, there's birds, there's all these things. And so, you know, sound healing as a professional thing, yeah, uses very specific frequencies, very specific notes and tones and uh, materials, et cetera, et cetera. But that's not required for you to experience entrainment. You can literally also be listening to traffic and find peace in that. Your brain actually matches the vibration of the loudest thing that's near you. And I don't mean loud in terms of the sound, but in terms of the vibration. So if there's a frequency of a bird that is more powerful than the frequency of the traffic, your brain will entrain to the thing that is closest to it. And entraining means like it'll match the frequency of that. So I'm always plugging Mother Nature because that's where, you know, you don't need any other tools. You can use that. However, if you're down to, you know, play around with how music feels, I am somebody who really loves to listen to lo-fi beats or like coffee shop jams and things like that. So lo-fi beats are just really non-intrusive music you can listen to that puts you in this like super calm, flowy state. And they're kind of repetitive. So if you were like trying to find a song that was different from another song, it's really hard to tell. They're very repetitive. If I'm listening to uh, really high, heavy, hype kind of music, I feel like I can't really think or get things done. That has a different purpose. You know, if I'm trying to move my body, perhaps I'll listen to something like that. And for, you know, a sound healing tool, I highly recommend you get something that is a 432 hertz. And 432 is a really mm. powerful frequency that's found in nature. So this is, this goes back to my Mother Nature plug because 432 is known as the miracle tone. And it's a frequency that's found in plants, found in water, found in the water of your body, found in nature. And so 432 is a really neutralizing tone. You can have so many different uh, frequencies that do different things, but 432 is a really powerful, potent, and average one to start at because it recalibrates anything that is in your body. So we're, as a person, as a whole like human body, everything in our body is vibrating. And we can measure this by modern science. If we look at ourselves under a microscope, we can see that we're actually moving, we're vibrating to the cellular level. So us as a person, even if we're like sitting still, we're still moving. And so what happens when you use 432, anything that is vibrating too fast in your body helps slow it back down into this equilibrium state. So this goes back to what we were mentioning about the sympathetic nervous state where our body sometimes overworking, it's overdoing it. So we can slow it down and come back to this like equilibrium state. And then anything that is underactive, so things that are moving slow, and often it's your chemical production, our hormonal production, we're not receiving the serotonin, we're not receiving the dopamine or oxytocin or even trace amounts of DMT, anything that's underactive helps to kind of pick it back up into this equilibrium state. And if you listen to something else, it's not going to like hurt you or ruin you, but 432 is a really powerful one. Beautiful. And then, you know, you're mentioning a lot of things. I I listened to your podcast on breath work and it's great that you already mentioned like depression and anxiety, because I know breath work can really help with that because you were mentioning 
most of the serotonin lives in the gut. So maybe you are producing enough serotonin, but if you're not breathing the right way, if you're not breathing from your gut, you may never be receiving it. Could you, first of all, quickly like define what breath work is and then maybe speak on that a little bit? Yeah. So breath work is breathing. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's like, yo, how do you, how do you breathe? Like, did you ever learn to breathe? And if I were to ask you and our listeners, you know, take a deep breath, most of us are going to puff up our chest. We're going to take a big, deep breath into our shoulders, but we don't have lungs in our shoulders. We don't have anything that needs oxygen in our shoulders, right? We're just like, we kind of puff up our chest. But if you look at a baby breathing, breath actually has to happen in the stomach. So breathing into your chest is known as something called thoracic breath. But when we do that, we actually leave behind all the good chemicals that are created in our stomach. And so when you're doing breath work, whether it's a fast breath work and there's like 3000 different styles of breath work, right? But there's different intentions for each style. Some slow down your body, some activate your body, some invite sleep into your body, some get your chemicals going. But at the end of the day, breathwork is just learning how to regulate your breath so that you're bringing in oxygen to your body. And so if you look at this baby, you know, breathing, they breathe into their belly. So oftentimes we're holding our breath again because we're in that sympathetic state. We're worried about that email we have to send or we're worried about, you know, this thing, that thing there. And, you know, maybe you're going through a pandemic. You know, there's all these different things that you are, you know, carrying in your body. Your body stops breathing. And so most of our serotonin, 80% of our serotonin is produced in our gut. And back in the day, we think that neurotransmitters were made in our brain. But it turns out we have a whole set of transmitters that are in our heart that talk to each other in different ways. And there are a whole different set in our gut that talk to each other in different ways. So the ones in your gut aren't necessarily used by your brain. And the ones in your brain aren't necessarily meant to be in your gut. But we understand now there's so much relationship with your mood and your overall health, depending on your gut health. So this is why we're always talking about like, you know, the foods that you're eating and the exercise that you're doing and all the different movements that you bring into your body has to do with activating what's in your stomach. And because we're breathing improperly, we don't actually move around all the good juicy things that are in our stomach. We're kind of like holding it here and then it pretty much just goes to waste. And so you can do breath work, not just by like coming to a meditation class. You can do breath work by singing. That requires breath work. You can do breath work by dancing. That's breath work. Athletes are doing breath work. Everybody who is practicing mindful, conscious breathing is essentially practicing breath work. We're literally changing to the molecular level how our body processes things. So how our body is processing our emotions, how it's processing our physical health, how it's processing our mental health, our energy, our spiritual health, all those different things can come to fruition just by altering our breath. And so in our body, we also intuitively understand that we have emotions that kind of sit in our body. And literally the word emotion stands for energy in motion. You know, E equals NC squared, energy in motion. So when you feel an emotion, when you have that burden on your back or you have the heaviness in your chest or you have that heartbreak, you have that gut intuition, you're processing all of that in your body. Notice heartache is always processed in the heart. It's not processed at your elbow, it's processed in the heart and not at your anatomical heart to the left of your spine. It's processed in the center of your chest. We also have temperature clues about emotions too, like hot emotions heated with anger, burning with rage, steaming mad, right? These are very passionate, burning hot passion. These are very intense emotion. And then we have cold emotions that are very avoidant. All things that are described cold are very avoidant, like ice queen or icy, that was cold blooded, or, you know, it's very like cold shoulders, very avoidant emotions. So emotions are processing in our body physiologically. And so when we do breath work, we have an opportunity to move through emotions that we don't actually know that we're carrying with us. There might be things in your childhood, things in your past, things in different experiences that you've had that wasn't, you know, something you were aware of. You didn't actually really know why you always have this like heaviness on your back, but perhaps you have a burden from your family because you're all like the caretaker and you have, you know, things to take care of and you have, you're working with your kids and 
you might start to notice that in your body, there's certain tension, there's certain parts of your body that holds that. It's you holding it together, being in that sympathetic state, just like being in survival, but then allowing and then noticing where in your body is happening. So in the short term, that kind of stuff is not dangerous. Like if you're just stressed about an email and it was like feeling heavy on your shoulder, it's not that bad. But if you're constantly feeling stress, you're constantly harboring emotions, they have long-term consequences on your health. And so in our energetic body, everything is connected. So for example, a lot of women tend to have thyroid problems because we hold our voices. Mm. We don't speak up. It's a nasty correlation. Not causation, but a nasty correlation. The level of hyperthyroidism or hypothyroidism is corresponding to this energy center that's in our throat. So you'll start to notice like maybe you have some kind of illness or disease. Disease also the word means not in ease. This energy, emotion, energy in motion, it wants to move through your body. It wants to flux away. It wants to, you know, not live on your shoulder or not live on your heart. It actually wants to move through. And so if it's living in your body longer than the appropriate amount of time, then it starts to cause disease in the body. So you might notice like, oh my gosh, like have I been having period cramps that are really nasty? Okay, maybe it is because of your period cramps and maybe because like it is your menstruation, but are you also carrying a weight on your back? Are you being responsible for mm. so many things in your in your household, in your finances, in your life that you just are, you know, you're feeling ungrounded from that? So that's where you're going to carry that. Or this pain in your heart, maybe you're having a respiration problem or something in your in your stomach, maybe your pancreas, maybe you just started having like diabetes out of nowhere, you know, or you have some kind of cyst growing in your stomach and you're just like, yeah, it's just cysts, you know, it's just like from stress. Well, what kind of stress? That kind of stuff sits in your stomach, that gut intuition, like when you know you had a feeling in the gut you got butterflies in your stomach or you had a feeling in the pit of your stomach, if you're not always listening to your gut, if you're not in the practice of using your intuition, that kind of stuff is going to get trapped in there and it's going to show up as this blocked energy. So you mentioned a lot of different things. I mean, like the throat is a huge one for women, as you mentioned, like either having vocal issues or having an issue with your thyroid. You mentioned bringing the serotonin up, like if you're not breathing into your stomach, that can be a reason why maybe the serotonin isn't getting through your body. Is there a certain type of breath work to engage with that specifically deals with health issues? Like how can we even go about finding that? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's one of these things that modern science hasn't caught up to what ancient people have been using for, you know, decades and decades. Yeah, right. It's been practiced in so many different cultures. And part of what I teach in my facilitator trainings is the history of breathwork as well. And so for anybody who's, you know, not looking to be a facilitator or learning to do breathwork for one hour or something like that, literally controlling your breath for a minute can put yourself into that parasympathetic state. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you can breathe in gently through whatever crevice you feel like in your nose or your mouth, right? <laughs> like it's so complicated. Breathe in for six seconds, hold your breath for six seconds, and then exhale out for six seconds. 
because what it does, it signals to your body that I'm in a place where I can, I can breathe. So a few times during the day, if you're just like, I'm going to set my timer, you know, at two o'clock, I'm going to just like, I don't need like 15 minutes and a meditation corner and the scents and the sounds and all of that stuff. All I need is just my body. And I'm going to count to six, five, four, three, two, one, and exhale, right? So simple, simple stuff. And then you can build on that very basic technique by breathing now into your belly. So you can breathe in through your mouth into your belly, really activating those lower neurotransmitters, the lower gut energy centers. And then breathe into your chest and exhale. And the first few times you do that, you'll also notice like how weird it is to take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah. It feels so good though. It feels good, right? That felt so good. Yeah. And it's free, you know, like it's free 99. You can do that anytime. <laughs> now I have a question because I've been breathing into my stomach for a long time because I sing. So like, I, I first started training myself to breathe into my stomach in seventh grade. I actually still remember it. But I do remember when I first started breathing into my stomach, it felt so weird. And I had to consciously like remind myself all the time, no, breathe into your stomach, breathe into your stomach. How do you train people who've never done that before? Yeah. So, I mean, part of being a breathwork facilitator is that you you facilitate that space for them. So part of it is constantly reminding people because it is such an unnatural thing that we've done. We've kind of learned it. And yeah, I'm, a, I'm a new auntie. I don't know if you know this, but I'm a new auntie. And I'm okay. Congrats. <laughs> thank you. I mean, it's been a year, but I moved to I moved to Austin, Texas to be with my nephew. And I've been watching his breathing, you know, and I was just like, yeah, you know what? He knows how to breathe. Like when he's sleeping, I'll be watching his belly go that up. And, you know, it, it's such a natural thing. And so I'm also going to be keeping my eye out. on. You know, he's my little experiment now. I'm also <laughs> going to be keeping my eye out on like, is there a time like when is that time where we don't do the thing that is natural? Like nobody taught him how to breathe like that. You know, we never told him to breathe into our stomach or breathe into the belly or whatever. Like he just knows how to do that. And so when is that time where we switch out that natural part where we're so anxious? We're like, you know, or we're we're so nervous or we're we're in the space where like literally breathing into your belly like that. And you're so right that it's such an abnormal thing. It's become such an abnormal normal thing that even when you breathe into that into that belly space you feel yourself awakening something that is just like sitting there and that's uncomfortable because as we mentioned with that emotions all the emotions that are in your body especially for women a lot of our stuff gets carried in our stomach mm. we have a lot of stuff blocked creativity all the ways that we suppress our intuition and all the ways that we hold in our power, all that stuff stays in your stomach. So when you take that first breath in, you'll also notice that like how abnormal that is. Yeah. I mean, and, and the thing you said that struck me the most is when you're like, when do we unlearn this natural thing? Because I think the same thing with creativity, you know, it's like we're all born creative and then we, we are taught that there's a consequence to being wrong. And so we lose some of that creative spark or sometimes for people, almost all of it. And, you know, like I started this podcast because I really wanted to help people reclaim what, what I believe is their birthright, which is creativity. And I think it's so beautiful that you're doing that with breath work too, because it's like, who robbed us of this beautiful part of being a human? And it's so simple too. These are the things that we innately have. You know, my whole thing is called Always Play yeah. Studio. You know, the podcast is called The Playground. Because like, we are taught to over time, be so serious about our existence here. Mm. We're so serious about like the meaning of everything and the meaning of actions. And part of that is our fault. You know, it's like, it's really nice to, you know, point your fingers at society and culture and be like, oh, society, you know, it's like really nice to do that too. But the beautiful part of all of this is that we have a, we have a choice. Do we continue to not trust ourselves, the things that are weird and bizarre, the ideas that we have, the ideas are, that are just because, you know, and they don't have like a bigger meaning and they don't have like bigger things. You just want to create and just, you know, put up a song or 
have conversations on a podcast that don't necessarily need to have like this big, you know, uh, agenda. Yeah. There's a very patriarchal way of thinking that everything has this like agenda and it has to match and it has to be your brand and it has to be, you know, like there's so much things that are suffocating about that. But when you're kids and you're processing emotions and you're processing creativity and you don't really know the rules, that's when you have the freedom of your imagination. That's when you get to just like do whatever because there's no rules around that. And part of having this conversation, part of, you know, the work that I do at Always Play Studios is just about coming back to that innate part of us that wasn't taking everything so seriously. Can we have a balance of the things that we do need to take care of in quote unquote real life and have enjoyment of our life? Yeah. You know, and there is a part of us that gets rejected. You know, we get rejected as kids. We get rejected in middle school. We get rejected in our professions. We get a rejection piece shuts us down. Mm. And then we start to question like, why? Why was I doing this? We forget that we, we were doing this because we were having fun. Yeah. If you're stuck in the rejection piece or the self-doubt piece, how do you start to move toward the self-trust and the play? So I'm a big proponent of creating your own rules. <laughs> You know, it, it's it's really coming back into why you believe the rules you believe in and what system created that thought of rules for you. So if you believe that you had to pursue a certain profession, who told you that? Right. And then you have to look at like that system of people who told you that. So maybe it was your parents or maybe it was your family or maybe it was da da da. And then you have to look at their system. They're like, oh my gosh, they weren't allowed to be creatives. They were not allowed to use their voice. And out of the fears other people projected onto them, they projected those fears onto you now. And all of a sudden, now you're carrying this generational fear, this generational doubt that doesn't necessarily belong to you. And so coming back into that space of play, it's just like, what do I think? What is my thought process on this? What is the truth? of me versus the systematic way somebody else was raised, the ways that they may have experienced oppression in their voice. And I feel this strongly about my family. And, you know, as I mentioned, a little bit of my family history, I also am strongly, strongly an advocate for women's voices. Part of why I speak about, you know, witchy things and mystical things with such reverence and like, fuck it kind of attitude is because I know that my parents were not able to and my grands were not able to and they were not able to and I'm in this place of luxury where I have the opportunity to be heard in the volume that I have to be heard in and it's a disservice it's a disservice to have the opportunity and not to use that so it feels empowering in that way you know, not that I feel like they expect me to, you know, make up for the legacy. No, you know, but you want to. Yeah, you want to. And I think that's a great way to look at it. It's like, you know, I think so often we look at the things we can't do or the things that feel like they're standing in our way. But like, what opportunities do we have? Just even if you don't have that sort of lineage, which we all if you're a woman, we all do. Like we all have yeah. an opportunity that even our mothers didn't have, you know? Yeah. So it's like looking at the things that People have come before you and sometimes even died for you to have. And how can you take that opportunity and hold it with reverence and own your voice and put it out there? And that really resonates with me in the in the word that comes up is freedom. You know, there's just a sense of freedom that we have at, at every new generation. There's just a different level of freedom that wasn't available to both me and you, both to our parents, both to, you know, grandparents, like whatever angle you want to come at. There's just like a level of freedom that wasn't available. And especially my upbringing, I'm an immigrant to the United States. There's just certain things that I'm very grateful for and I realize and recognize and maybe if I had grown up in a place where I couldn't find gratitude for them, I would think differently, perhaps. But I grew up in Bangladesh, you know, there's different access points, there's different access to education, different access to freedom. 
there's different access to like speaking your voice and you know being like put on trial and being like harassed and there's so many different experiences that i don't have for the reason that my family are immigrants here in united states so there's just like a lot of luxuries and in all the ways that i feel oppressed or i don't have access or don't have accessibility to certain things like absolutely those exist but then there's this gratitude of all the freedoms that i really truly feel I feel that, you know, our parents don't come here and do all this hard work so that you can feel imprisoned. Yeah. So that you get stuck in a job that you don't care about that, you know, it's a disservice to them. It's like disrespectful to them if you choose to do something that like re-imprisoned your family line. If it re-imprisoned you and why they came here is for freedom. When you tap into that feeling of freedom of why people like literally gave their happiness and their livelihood for you to just even have this like little taste of it. I think it's a huge disservice if you don't lean into it as much as you can. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. Um, Speaking of leaning in, I know you recently put out this seven month immersion training for healers and you were talking on the podcast about how it was scary. And like, when you first thought of it, you're like, Oh my God, I don't even know how I'm going to do this. And you know, one of the things we talk about on this pod a lot is taking fear out of the driver's seat. I'm wondering how you took fear out of the driver's seat for that creation and how it came to be and kind of what it involves. Yeah. So the seven month immersion for healers is a healing arts practitioner training and immersion It's like a mastermind and mentorship for healers who are kind of in my boat five, six years ago, who were kind of leaving a career and they made a big choice or maybe they hadn't made that big choice yet, but they come into this training and they train in breath work, they train in sound healing, they train as embodiment coaches, and they also receive mentorship from me to create their own businesses, sustainable businesses that actually make them money. Wow. And so for me to create this, you know, I've wanted to have an immersion, a long form thing for quite some time, but there is that fear, as you mentioned, of just like, how does it come together? You know, are people going to need or want something like this? And what I've learned in, you know, my my time in this space, in this holistic wellness space is that there are so many people who are waiting for voices like ours. You know, they're waiting to hear Lauren. They're waiting to hear Shanila. You know, they're waiting to see the example of somebody doing it and not just theoretically talking about it. And so the more that I actually live and embody the things that I believe I teach, like play and freedom and having fun, don't take yourself seriously, the more that I embody that, the more fear doesn't even exist in that. It just feels so natural. The fear gets rewired. I don't know if it ever leaves, but it speaks to you in a different way. That fear is more like that excitement, that driver, that push rather than like, oh, this isn't going to work out. What if this happens? Like, it's it's not that voice. Mm. Like, that intuitive voice, especially over the year, that inner voice is just so loud. And I just see the people who are signed up to be in this immersion with me. And I'm just like, that's, you're me, you know? Like, I wish I had this for myself this amount of time ago. Because it can feel so lonely when you've made a big choice. And even though I mentioned that, you know, family, blah, 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 they accept and understand, but they're not who I hang out with, you know? There's friends and support and and community that is so important. And so part of creating this is to give people the things that I wish I had back then. I wish I had a mentor. I wish I had, you know, the ability to talk to people about mystic and sciencey stuff and, you know, have it be received in the same way that I now have like an entire podcast where I'm just like, blah, 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 blah. And the reason people connect with me on that is like, oh my gosh, like I've always wanted to hear somebody like talk about this. I've always wanted to hear somebody like talk about breath work, but not just like breath work as in like woo woo wee wah, but breath work as in like, what's the physiology? What's the science? What's happening in the brain? You know, and that is more exciting to me how embodied people feel, how empowered people feel. And the fear doesn't, I don't know if we like, saw their thumbs up on the hitchhiking ride. We didn't pick them up, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So it's not even in the car. It's on the side of the road being like, could I get a ride? And you're like, no, bitch, I'm driving on. (laughs) We're full today. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Wait, speaking of the podcast, and I know we have to wrap soon, but you had a podcast where you talked about like signs that you are 
stepping into your healer journey. Could you quickly just like go through those? Cause I think that's really powerful. Yeah. So, well, first of all, before starting that, you know, the healer is not like a, a separate person outside of you. Everyone has their inner healer. Ooh. Just like everyone has their inner creative, like that person lives within you. You know, you just have to activate them. And so one of the biggest things is that you feel this like high levels of intuition popping up. You're just like, you know what? I, I should create that. Like I should, I should do that thing. I should, you know, and whatever that means for you, that could be something like physically creative or like taking a program or signing up for a thing or doing something that's like outside of your bubble, your intuition starts to kick up. Then you might also feel like the things that you were interested in back then, you're kind of like not so interested in anymore. You know, not that it's bad or toxic for you. It's just like you're not vibing with it anymore. And so it's important to listen to that. Because as you evolve in any sense of that word, as a professional, as a um, business person, as an entrepreneur, in any sense of the word, anytime you evolve, you're going to outgrow things. And so let those things like thank them, see them on their way out and then onward to the next one. And the last is that you might feel this big desire to really do something rebellious. And so you might see that in your family or friends circle, you know, you might kind of be the black sheep you're kind of the odd one out you're kind of this like rebel and you've got you know you're the one wearing all the glitter and you're doing all this stuff and <laughs> yeah and, and and it seems like you're the weirdo mm -hmm. and that's that's the thing that's when your inner healer is calling you that's when your inner creative is like activated and you know it's gonna hurt you to stay in this old version of yourself rather than to blossom and just like expand into this beautiful world of a playground and start creating. Oh, gorgeous. Well, that is like the best way to end. If you're going through any of those things, embrace it. Follow this wonderful woman on all platforms. I'll plug you at the end too, but just like get on everything she's doing because you're funny, you are insightful, you're relaxing and energetic at the same time. Aww. You're everything. And I'm super grateful you spent this time with me today. And thank you for being a light in the world. Thank you, Lauren. And also catch Lauren and my episode coming out on my podcast as well. So you'll have a double whammy of Yay. our conversations. Double trouble, baby. We're here to stay. Double trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening and thanks to my guest, Shanila Sitar. For more info on Shanila, follow her at shanila.sitar on Instagram. That's S-H-A-N-I-L-A dot S-A-T-T-A-R. And if you're interested in taking any of her classes or courses, check out her website, alwaysplay.org. Thank you so much to Unleash Associate Producer Emily Shulmanovich. You can follow her at We Can't Find Emily. Thank you to Liz Full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow Unleash on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me, at Lauren LaGrasso, and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Also, be sure to tag Shanila at Shanila.Sitar so she can share too. My wish for you this week, and honestly my wish for me too, <laughs> is that you and I can find ways to take life a little less seriously. Because as Shanila reminds us, a huge part of healing is playing. And it's so easy to forget that, but it's so true. So I love you. I believe in you. And I'll talk with you next week.